Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. All right, good evening, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Finsider Radio Podcast. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until 10 p.m. Eastern tonight. We have a great show in store for you. Uh, we'll visit with Finsider writer-analyst Max Himmelrich to talk Cameron Wake's potential extension, Olivier Vernon's potential franchise tag, and where all of this would leave Lamar Miller as free agency looms next month. At 8.30 p.m. Eastern, Dan Kadar of SB Nation's Mocking the Draft will join us to talk the NFL Combine and the 2016 draft. Uh, we're also planning to take questions and calls at the end of Dan's spot. You can tweet those questions to me, KMB8488. Or call into the studio at 347-326-9461. We'll try to get you on if you have any draft questions for Dan. Uh, in the meantime, let me introduce you to my usual panel. And right now, it's uh, it's just you, Lewis. Hello. How are you doing? Hello. I am okay. Good. How are good. you? Uh, I'm, I'm better now because uh, I believe we have Duke on the line, too. Duke, what's up? Not much. Good, good to have you. Hello, gentlemen. It's it's a pleasure to have you here. We'll bring. I think Max is here too. We'll bring him on um, in a in a moment. Just a uh, couple of things we want to cover. I mentioned it's been a crazy week in that you've had this, this sort of story come up where the Dolphins are really really interested in Lamar Miller and they haven't at all talked to uh, Olivier Vernon. And then it came up today that the Dolphins are in fact very interested in not only uh, franchising Olivier Vernon, but extending the contract of Cameron Wake. Um, we'll go ahead and we'll bring on Max Himmelrich now to discuss this. Max, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, great. So this, this kind of been a whirlwind 72 hours. If you're, if you're following the dolphins, cause if you, if you go with the, um, the initial, media story with this team it usually blows up in your face 
And it looks like this could be the case too, because uh, Monday it sounded like Lamar Miller was going to be the guy. If if they're going to re-sign one of their their big ticket free agents, it was going to be him. Sounded like they had little to no contact with Olivier Vernon, and uh, through the season too. And it sounded like he was pretty much a goner in terms of hitting free agency next month. Uh, today it comes up that because the Dolphins are ex- interested in uh, extending Cameron Wake, who's coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, now we're hearing that Olivier Vernon might actually be in the team's plans and he might get that $15.5 million franchise tag. Uh, came out earlier this week that his camp thinks that he's worth, or his camp believes he's worth about 14 to $15 million, which I think all of us rolled our eyes when that, that news came out, mainly because we don't want to pay that. And number two, we're not certain he's worth that either. I mean, I don't think many Dolphins fans are gonna are gonna sign off on that. So uh-huh. where are you at? Where are you at with this, Max? I mean, is this just one great big uh, mess of made by the media, or do you think there's something to the fact that the Dolphins are gonna move forward with the franchise tag on Vernon? I, Wake always seemed like it was he was gonna be in their plans as long as they were able to find some wiggle room there. But do you think the Vernon story is legit? What's going on here? Well, based on what I've heard, the team is actually contrary. I mean, we've all looked at the situation and said, oh, clearly they'll draft a linebacker or cornerback or someone to the secondary with the eighth overall pick. The situation now seems more fluid. The team is willing to target corners and linebackers when free agency opens in just a few weeks. Once they've done that, they'll have a better idea of what's going on with the draft. But Lamar Miller is a priority. And I don't believe that if Olivier Vernon is signed, it will be to a deal. I believe it will be to the franchise tag, if anything, just because they're not sure about Cameron Wake. He would be an insurance policy and a very expensive one for having Cameron Wake. But that's one of the reasons that the team is interested in drafting a defensive lineman, I believe. Because if you look at the situation, we don't know – We're we're getting to the point where we can say that wake will be ready. I mean, all reports are indicating that he's ahead of schedule, which is something that doesn't surprise any of us. You know, we've seen him on the team for years. We've seen his work ethic. We've seen his drive and we've seen that he's a, a physical freak. So it's entirely he's a, possible. Yeah, he's, that he's ready. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. So it's entirely possible that he's ready. So I think as the team is watching him, I mean, every single day, cause he's working out at the team facility. That's where he's mm-hmm. doing his rehab. So, Every single day that they see him progress, it's, a, it's more assurance that he'll be ready and that they might not need to give Olivier Vernon a big deal. They won't give him 14 to $15 million a year. It's just not going to happen from the Dolphins. Uh, some team will. You know, if he hits the open market, a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, who know that they're overpaying but have cap space to burn with, you know, 40-plus million and the salary cap isn't even set yet, they think it's going to elevate another, I believe it's $10 million. To I know the number is going to be 155 or somewhere in that area. Yeah, I think it's 12 so that, million. Right, exactly. So the the mindset for the Dolphins could be that they're just going to use that extra cap money to bring back Vernon, but I don't believe that's what's going to happen. I think as Cam, I think Olivier Vernon's agent is highly entrenched in the community in South Florida. That's where he lives, and I don't know that this isn't this. I don't know that this isn't just something that he's putting out there because it helps him 
it helps him increase his value on the open market. But if I had a prediction of the way things are going to go, I don't think that Sue will be restructured. I just, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think that I don't think that Cameron Wake will be cut. I think he'll actually be extended because he wants to retire as Miami dolphin. The dolphins want him to retire as a dolphin. There's mutual interest on both sides. They understand, he understands his value. He understands he's not going to hit the open market in 2017, which is what would happen if we keep him next season, and command $12 million a year. It's just not going to happen. So they know that they can keep him for a lower rate, and if that means spreading out this extra money over four years or three years, however long they decide to sign him for, then that would be a good solution for both sides, likely with a lot of incentives involved based on playing time and production. Then, looking at Lamar Miller, it's got to be a priority to bring him back. I mean, you look at the free agent market for running backs, Matt Forte is going to be very expensive, and he's at a more advanced age than Miller. He has more miles on him. Lamar Miller, I mean, we we all know how much he was underutilized, which translates to someone who's fresh. I mean, he's not – he had injury concerns coming out of University of Miami, hasn't had any injury issues since he got in the league, but the team still isn't utilizing him to its fullest. So I think Lamar Miller will be back. I don't – I think the market for running backs is weak. I don't think he's going to come in at an Adrian Peterson number or Jamal Charles number. So I think the team's going to be able to bring him in somewhere in the neighborhood, a little bit more, but somewhere around what the Baltimore Ravens gave Justin Forsett um, a little while back. That's Uh, pretty good. For me, that's a good comparison. His agents will obviously come in higher than that, but that's that's a good starting block for his deal. So Forte out on the market actually might, might fend off some of the predators uh, for Lamar Miller. Cause it at least puts other life on the market. The one thing question I have going on right now, and I'm not really sure there's any way we could answer this, but suppose that they do franchise Olivier Vernon at that $15.5 million. Uh, a lot of people call it the sort of uh, show me um portion of the contract where it's like show us your worth that 14 to 15 million dollars that you and your agent believe you're worth do you think it's that for the dolphins or are they simply uh trying not to strip the pass rush cover before vance joseph gets his hands on it well um i think if you look at the pass rushers specifically at defensive end that vance joseph has used since he got to cincinnati when they were in cincinnati he wasn't in control of the defensive line but when you have someone who's a secondary coach, they're usually going to mimic the behavior of their defensive coordinator from their last stop. They went with more athletic, long guys. And Vernon kind of fits that mold. He's athletic and he's quick, but he's not that elite pass rush type. He, we thought he could be. We thought he could be a truly elite pass rusher. But he's, he's a poor man's Cameron Wake is really what he is. You know, he's not a great oh. pass rusher. He's a good pass rusher. But he can't play the run. I, a, the, that's one thing really you just what I up that, Well, the interesting thing is, like, if you're trying to find a comparison for Vernon, it is kind of difficult. Just because, I mean, the way he's built, his style of playing and everything, uh, I would actually say that he's kind of maybe a poor man's Carlos Dunlap, which would make a lot of sense because Carlos Dunlap is out in Cincinnati. But, I mean, Carlos Dunlap is much taller than, than that's, Olivier That's Vernon. what I'm saying. I mean, the Carlos Dunlap-Michael Johnson mold. Is I think yeah. where they're going to go, and Cameron Wake yeah. plays like he's six foot eight. That's the other thing. I mean, he might be six three, six four, whatever they have him listed at. 
But he because he can bend so much, it, he's such an athletic player. That's For the sure. mold that they're going to want to fill, I think. And that's, the team is interested in defensive line in the first round of the draft, which is not – which is, I mean, right now the team should be interested in every position in I the agree. first round of the draft because they have needs everywhere. And this year – Picking in the top ten, the uh, picking in the top ten, the draft and needing defense is a godsend because there's so much talent at the top of this year's class on defense and throughout the draft, especially in the yeah. secondary. There's a lot of depth, so you look at that and you have to say it doesn't bode well for Vernon, but it's not the strongest class at on the defensive line of free agents. I mean, that's the same reason that Rashard Matthews is going to get paid because outside of Alshon Jeffrey, who's not going to make it out of Chicago. Richard Matthews could be the best free agent receiver. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Olivier if, Vernon's benefiting from that a lot. If you took a pass rusher at eight, uh, who would you take? And one thing I, I want to also bring up here that I thought it was interesting you touched on is uh, guys like Michael Johnson. I think Michael Johnson runs about six, seven, 280 pounds. Uh, so yeah, like, he's six, he's uh, six, seven, two, eighty. Yeah. Or something. Like a bigger D end, like, but still a little bit angular. A little bit like DeForest Buckner, if you will. So yeah. I mean, DeForest, DeForest Buckner. Bu- Go ahead. He's DeForest Buckner is something. I mean, when you look at Mike Tannenbaum's history, he likes the long-armed interior defensive linemen and defensive ends. I mean, Muhammad Wilkerson has something ridiculous, like a seven-foot wingspan, and he's yeah. like six foot four. I mean, I mean, it's crazy, and it does help you a lot as a defensive lineman to be able to have those long arms, but. It's. I think that they're in an awkward position to take a defensive lineman. I think if they were three spots back, it would make a lot of sense. The reason I'm still advocating corner and linebacker is that once you get out of the top ten, there are four, there are four top-flight players, really five if you consider Jalen Smith outside of the injury. Sure. At those two positions, you have Jalen Ramsey, Vernon Hargreaves, Miles Jack, Reggie Ragland, and Jalen Smith. One of those five players will 100% be there when the Miami Dolphins pick at eight. But yeah, the question would... is, the, the Dolphins can go best on board on defense. We're not saying, you know, they can go best on board and take Laquan Treadwell if he's sitting there. That's not, the, right. that's not the situation. They can't pick Ezekiel Elliott. They need to pick on defense. The offense, if they re-sign Lamar Miller and bring in a free agent guard, then the offense is fine. I mean, you can address depth on the offensive line and other depth positions in the draft, you know, on day two and three. Sure. You know, in the first round, the Dolphins need a defensive – they need a star because because every position is devoid of talent at the moment. It's just uh, – Lewis and I were discussing this before we got on air. Um, it, it's, it's funny that there's a, a handful of pass rushers available at the top of the first round this year. And a lot of them are, and the, they all fit a different mold. We mentioned DeForest Buckner, who's got that, that real long angular uh, frame, uh, still a bigger guy, like just under 300 pounds. It, I mean, he can, he can play the five technique. He can, he can be a four, three pass rusher for you. Uh, Joey Bosa can play a four, three end, or he could be an edge rusher for you. You got Noah Spence, who's pretty much a pure as edge rusher, might be the the most talented pass rusher of the bunch. So I mean, like you've got a lot of different flavors at the top of the first round or top to wherever Spence goes, because you know 
uh, with the the character concerns. That's no one really knows where he's going to go. But you have a lot of flavors in terms of pass rush ability and frame and just overall skill set here. So it's interesting, and I think that the the Dolphins are at eight. At least they'll have some options. And if you're if you're into the idea of drafting a pass rusher, and I'm certainly not against it. I mean, we we keep talking about the linebackers. We've had you on the show before, and we've mentioned linebackers. We've talked about the corners that we like. Uh, you just have to hope if you're the Dolphins that these quarterbacks continue to rise. I still think at least two of those guys go in the first seven. Uh, if Paxton Lynch has an awesome uh, combine, all the by, which by the way everyone is throwing at the combine this year, which I can't remember the last time that happened. That no one's skipping it. Everyone's going to be a part of it. Uh, if that guy has a big workout, then maybe he works his way up, and then maybe you're able to you can bait someone into trading down a little bit. You can go ahead and maybe the, uh, those players rising up, uproot some of the guys you're interested in. Uh, wink, wink to guys like Miles Jack, who I, I saw all the NFL.com mocks. They both have that guy going to the Cowboys now, uh, which is funny because, I mean, he's, he hasn't even been fully cleared to work out. I mean, he's not even a full participant at the combine because he's still healing from, from his uh, meniscus tear. Which, I mean, it's fine because, I mean, I read that his meniscus tore completely off the bone and then they had to re-sew it to the, the tibia, which sounds brutal, but he's optimistic. He claims it's like a new knee, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, he's, yeah based on people who I've spoken with who have talked to him, have said that, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that feeling when you get back from it and the surgically repaired one is just as strong or is going to be stronger. I mean, it's, it's going to be... Once the rehab is through, we're really going to see. But the other thing I want to mention quickly with the defensive line, a reason that they can pick there, when you select a linebacker, it becomes very difficult to go from a 4-3 to a 3-4 based on the yeah. fit of that player. These, and Vance Joseph said this year there'll be a 4-3. But if it doesn't work out this year, going forward, he could convert the team to a 3-4, depending on what happens. Right now, we just don't have the linebacker talent to do it. So going forward, having someone like DeForest Buckner or Spence or, or even one of the more versatile linebackers, you need someone who in, in a time of need is able to, you know, go from a 4-3 end to a 3-4 linebacker. Because that's, that's what Cameron Wake did. Cameron Wake was an outside linebacker in the 3-4, and now he's playing defensive end in the 4-3. A player who has versatility like that is a lot more valuable to the Dolphins because they're a team who hasn't fully committed to their defensive scheme yet beyond the 2016 season. Which is funny because a guy like Reggie Ragland is big enough to play interior linebacker in a 3-4. And, I mean, honestly, seems like a would be a true blue Mike in the 4-3. I still maintain that. And he could lose 15 pounds and do it. I mean, I think he oh, weighed in. Mike, like, he's a middle – he's middle in every, in every defensive scheme. He's as pure of a middle linebacker as, as you'll find. I agree. I've, I've seen a couple of people try to pitch him off as potentially being a, a Sam at the next level. And I just, I don't see that full time or even part time. Um, the one thing that I, I'm not sure if people really realize, but with the Dolphins current personnel in place, uh, it would not be incredibly difficult to shift it, shift it over to a one gap three, four, which uh, Vance Joseph would have some experience with because, I mean, he was able to rub shoulders with Wade Phillips in Houston for a while. And Wade Phillips put the one gap three, four on the national stage with that, that Super Bowl win. And the fact that 
um, people typically um, they couple the the thought of the three four with like these enormous defensive linemen who turn into pretty much glorified blocking sleds, and there's just a lot of size on the field. And if you're playing in the and I mean it's it's really tough to find players to to properly play those positions. But if you're doing the one gap three four, I mean, uh, you know, really uh, first step quickness, uh, speed, and really just uh, an attack mentality. Which I I mean, if you got guys like Sue and especially Jordan Phillips, I think Jordan Phillips would be outstanding in a one gap three four. Where I mean, it's pretty much just downhill. I mean, you're taking, you're streamlining the read part of it. It's no longer a thing where you occupy space and then read and react like in a, a typical three, four with a two gap. I mean, you're pretty much, you're, you're focused on one gap. You're focused on attacking. I mean, you take any of hesitance out of it and it's, it's excellent. You don't necessarily need a big time size. I mean, you still need considerable size and strength to play on the defensive line in a one gap three, four. But it's not a, a planets type thing where very rarely a guy will come along who can occupy occupy space, has the strength to hold up, can read and uh, react. I mean that's tough to find. So I think the the Dolphins have some guys who could really really rip in a, a one gap three four. And I would even love if we had some hybrid look, looks that kicked over to that because essentially it's still yeah. a downhill downhill scheme. Yeah, the hybrid system would be great because Ndamukong Sue, as we saw last year when Wake went down, can play any position on the defensive line. You know, in that in that three four, if you had a situation where you switch to a hybrid four three and Cameron Wake, Cameron Wake shifts up and becomes a linebacker, and Sue moves over and puts his hand in the dirt, becomes a defensive lineman. I'd be becomes a defensive end. I mean, that w- the versatility you have there with Wake and Sue or whoever the team acquires. I mean, one of these defensive lineman that we're talking about in the draft, DeForest Buckner. I mean, one of those players you could really do some damage with if you're shifting a little bit more, which I was disappointed that they didn't do when, when Wake was healthy. They started mm-hmm. doing it out of necessity when Wake went down because they said, I mean, like, you know, we have no pass rush on the defensive line right now because for a few weeks there, while Olivier Vernon had his little surge late in the season, he struggled for a few weeks there around the Patriots game right after that. And um, the team needed a pass rush, so they moved Sue over on a lot of plays. You know, you saw him playing closer to the right tackle a lot of times, and that was last in the last game of the season when the team got um, the strip sack on Brady. It was because Sue moved over, and the right tackle had no idea what was going on, and Sue just drove him back. Those tackles aren't used to blocking guys as powerful as Indomiting Sue. Right. could be pound for pound. While Aaron Donald could be the best defensive tackle in the NFL right now, I don't know that there's a defensive lineman who's more powerful than Sue. I, I think, think that Aaron, I think Aaron Donald's probably the best pure three technique, if you will, just in being yeah. as a dis, disruptive pass rusher under tackle. I love him at that position. But I agree with you that in terms of just being a pure defensive tackle, with that versatility and Dominican Sue is tough to beat. If you're talking about pure three techniques, I would probably look at Aaron Donald and Gerald McCoy has been incredible for Tampa as well. But I mean, a lot of people seem to get skittish whenever you bring up and Dominican Sue playing the three, four, he played in the three, four at Nebraska and he dominated in it. They moved him everywhere. He almost won a, 
won the Big 12 championship game by himself against Texas the year that Texas went to the national championship game. You know, so, I mean, he's an incredible talent. You can, I mean, he's a guy you can use to create matchups and exploit them. And I think that that's something that Vance Joseph is going to, going to be able to do with him i'm still high on jordan phillips i know a lot of people kind of uh ran lukewarm on him at the end of the year but i was mentioning to lewis too before the show that i mean jordan phillips has an exceptional gift as a defensive lineman i mean he's huge i mean he plays what 335 340 right now uh and is huge and he's like a cat i mean he moves incredibly well at that size. And I mean, he's a proven penetrator. I mean, he disrupts the backfield and finding guys that big who can consistently get in the backfield. That's tough to do. He didn't so, put that much. He didn't put that much bad film on his record last season. You know, no, he didn't get a motor. lot of reps. Yeah. Right. Right. He didn't get a lot of reps because as we've seen, as we've said 150,000 times on the Joe Philbin regime, they don't want to play rookies. They'd rather play a guy like, Earl Mitchell, where you know his ceiling, but you know his floor, rather than let a guy like Jordan Phillips play. He put a lot of good stuff on film, especially early in the season, because I think it is partially motor and partially conditioning. Um, yeah, I think once he, once he can develop more, he can be a very, very solid contributor in, inside of the defensive line, which would allow us more versatility with Sue. He's got the mean streak going, too. You notice the early, late in the year when, I mean, like he was really finishing off hits too, which, I mean, you like, I mean, you don't want him to play dirty or anything, but you, if he's learning alongside and Dominican Sue, you can bet that that guy's learning how to play on the edge and play with an edge, which is, I don't have a problem with because I remember for a long time when people were just walking all over us defensively. So, I mean, this would be the other side of it. Uh, so, I, I mean, coming back to the question I had, if you had to take a pass rusher at eight, and I'll let's sweeten the deal here. Let's say that Joey Bosa falls. Let's say that a couple quarterbacks rise up, and let's say that you have your, your pick of Bosa, Buckner, Spence. Uh, we'll even throw in some of the guys who are kind of tweeners in terms of defensive tackle, defensive end. We'll put in, like, Kendiche. He's in there. Who would you take at eight? Um, I think if you're going for your for a pure pass rusher, Spence is the best pure pass rusher in the draft. But I think Joey Bosa, for me, it's between obviously Laramie Tunsil, Joey Bosa, and Jalen Ramsey for who's the best player in the draft as a whole. I sure. don't if, – if he fell to us, we would have to take him. We would have to. There would be no better, better occasion for the Dolphins than to have Joey Bosa fall. But – I'd be temp- I don't think um, uh, I don't know that the team would go for Spence as high as eight, unless he just shows up at the combine and runs like a four four and you know added some weight and is just huge and fast and athletic, and then I don't even know that I would rather have him than going with DeForest Buckner. I mean, Buckner is like we were saying he could play almost any position in the front seven, if you're talking outside linebackers in the three, four, I mean, in the four, three or the defensive lineman, I think he's a defensive end personally. I think he's just, I think he's just too big to be a linebacker, but some people say he can, people who probably know more than me say that he can project out to any position, but I think 
taking him there if Bosa's <laughs> off the board is a good strategy if you want to go defensive lineman. I think so, too. Excuse me, I had to cough there for a second. Oh, um, I think DeForest Buckner's a gem. I think that people will start to realize that if they can get over the whole Oregon thing, I realize there's that stigma going on right now where they they look at any long, angular pass rusher and they think beyond Jordan. Although I will make mention of the fact that DeForest Buckner right now is about 60 pounds heavier than where Deion Jordan was at Oregon. So that's something to consider too. But I think that people are going to realize real quick. Go ahead. The biggest thing for Deion Jordan was off the field. I mean, if we had had a defensive staff that could have properly utilized him and he was health and he was available to us and he wasn't suspended, then it could have worked out an entirely different way. I mean, it was a lot of that problem where we saw scheme over player talent during the Joe Philbin regime that drove all of us crazy. And, you know, DeForest Buckner off the field, everyone says he's, he was one of the better guys in that locker room. I mean, just in terms of being a leader and having his head on his shoulders. So, and he's an entirely different player. I think you're exactly right. A lot of people will have to get over the Oregon stigma. Yeah, I've heard nothing but glowing reviews about him as a character. So, I mean, I Bosa, I mean, one thing that people need to keep in mind that in addition to being a, a top-flight pass rusher in this draft, Bosa is an incredible run defender, too. So, I mean, that's yeah. a perk you get, you get with him. Buckner, you get that. Vance Joseph would have that familiarity with working with, you know, Johnson and Dunlap and Cincinnati. Um, I, I, we saw today uh, a couple of people tweeting out uh, that the Dolphins are invested or looking heavily into uh, Robert Kandice. That interests me for a few reasons. As, as I mentioned, he kind of strikes me as a tweener. I think he only pay, plays at about 300 pounds. So, I mean, if you're – because Sue is – I don't know what Sue's at right now. What, 310 three maybe? Somewhere around three, there? Yeah, he, hover, he hovers between 300 and 310. Yeah, he, he's a he's a big one. So, I mean, if you have Kim <laughs> Dice, there, there's another guy who probably allows you to exploit matchups because you can move him around a little bit, which, I mean, I think versatility is going to be a big deal in this defense. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I'm – I have a character concern with him because of the off the field issues that plagued him late in his time in college. But, yeah, falling out the window was a bad look, especially right yeah, for the bowl good, game. Right, yeah, not a good look, um, especially as someone who is he was going to be a top ten pick and could have just you know breezed through and gone to the draft. I think it's a really bad sign for players when they can't. They can't stay out of trouble for five months, especially at that time in their life where they know it's so pivotal. You know, for a player transitioning from college to the NFL, that's the most important time in your life to make sure that you stay out of trouble and that you present yourself as someone who a team wants to have as the face of their franchise. And I think when you look at um, what occurred with him, I don't think you can draft him in the top 10. I mean, late in the first round, he strikes me as a guy who's a late first rounder based on that in talent. He's obviously one of the best players in the draft, but Mike Tannenbaum has a history of going with those, you know, question marks in terms of character. Do you think there's any chance that Mike Tannenbaum would go with uh, a defense? What, pardon? 
do you think there's any chance that Tannenbaum would go with a guy like Noah Spence? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think there is. I mean, you know, you look at the problems that Sheldon Richardson has had, and he was he was you know Tannenbaum was incredibly high on him when they drafted him, and for good reason. He's been an incredibly talented player, but you know he got caught speeding at 120 miles an hour with you know marijuana and unregistered gun and like a 13 year old in his car. You know, it sounds like a joke, but it actually is what happened. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it works out okay with these guys. I mean, you know, Tyron Matthew had a lot of character questions coming out of school and has answered them all so far. I mean, he's become a leader in that locker room. He's become one of the faces of their defense. He's a, he's a great player for the Cardinals. And right. then there are stories like Deion Jordan, where he, you know, can't manage to keep himself on the field due to his actions off of it, not even injury-related. So there are situations like that where you have to worry. And, you know, the Sheldon Richardson thing could have been a lot worse than it was. Sure. It could have been a lot worse for that. He could have been – I think he should have been suspended for the year for that incident. But that's a whole different story. It's, I don't know how Stephen Ross feels about it because I know – that Joe Philbin was one of the guys we all know. He didn't like guys with character questions. But I'm wondering how much of that was Stephen Ross and how much was, was Joe Philbin. Because if Stephen Ross is a guy, Stephen Ross is a businessman. You know, he wants to build the brand of the Miami Dolphins. And if he says, you know, I don't want those guys to be the brand of my team, then Mike Tannenbaum can't do it. He doesn't. He, I agree. He has, to, he has to do what Stephen Ross wants him to do which is one of the weird little things. You know, Mike Tannenbaum is essentially the owner of the team who just has to approve everything with, with the actual owner of the team. He functions in kind of the role of an owner in Miami, and now GM. Now he's taken over that. Who knows what Chris Greer's role really is. But it's going to be very interesting to see what he does in his first draft with real autonomy in Miami, to see where he goes in terms of character, because if he's if he doesn't mind character, then he could pick up Noah Spencer and just go for a pure pass rushing nightmare. But if Steven Ross says, you know, I want to make sure that we get a guy who's, who's right in the head, they could go with Vernon Hargreaves, who has been, you know, one of the better leaders on that UF team. Yeah. Max, you want to stick around me actually, uh, it's time to bring on our special guest for the night. So we can go ahead yeah, and, course. uh, all right, great. Uh, joining us now is uh, Dan Kadar, uh, SB Nation's NFL draft editor. You can find him on Mocking the Draft. Dan, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing okay. Uh, we'll get to specifics. This is unquestionably your busy season. Uh, right now, how do you feel about this draft class as a whole? Do you think it's going to be anywhere near as memorable a first round as what we had last year? Well, I, I think it's good if you're a team that's going to be targeting a lot of defensive talent, specifically on the defensive line. There's a, a lot, a lot of players out there to go for. So it's good for those teams. It's good for teams that uh, need cornerback help, which is a plus for Dolphins fans. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of questions on offense. You know, how good are these quarterbacks? Is there a good running back beyond Ezekiel Elliott? Um you know, the the wide receiver class is nowhere near as good as it's been the last few years, and the offensive line uh, play is kind of questionable too. So if you need defensive help this year, it's good. 
if you need offensive help this year, you, you're a little afraid of this draft. Uh, I've seen you uh, in your mock drafts that you put out thus far. You've given the Dolphins Vernon Hargraves, and there was another mm-hmm. one I saw where you gave him Mackenzie Alexander. Uh, which guy would you take? I I would probably lean Alexander just because I think he's he has more physical uh, presence to his game. I, I I think he has a little bit more upside. He's just a redshirt sophomore coming out. And Hargreaves he he was very good at Florida, and I think he's going to be a very good NFL player. But there's some some things to his game that that make you pause a little bit and and make you want to go back and watch and see how good his deep speed is. You know how often he bites on double moves and stuff like that. And, um, you know I, I don't have those same questions with Alexander. If you were the Dolphins, who would you select with the eighth pick in general? Which player do you think gives them the most bang for their buck? Probably one of the cornerbacks, just because that's the need. And I, I have a pretty high grade on both of those players. So I, I would see who's out there out of them and determine if you can trade back and maybe accumulate some more picks. Because, you know, I, I grade Mackenzie Alexander very high. I think he'd be a good pick for the Dolphins. But if you can trade back into the teams, there's still going to be guys like Eli Apple of Ohio State, Kendall Fuller of Virginia Tech out there. Those are also very good cornerbacks. So if you can figure out how to trade back, I think that's the ideal. But if not, there's nothing wrong with taking Kenzie Alexander at eight. You mentioned last year's uh, and the past, the previous couple of years, the receiver core. What did you think of Devontae Parker uh, coming out of Louisville? I liked him a lot. And I I honestly thought he would be a lot bigger factor for the Dolphins this year. So I was a little disappointed in that. So um, I I liked him a lot. I think he's a a really good physical receiver. I think he's athletic enough. He can go up and get passes. But, you know, if he can't get on the field for whatever reason, that's an issue. So I I liked him a lot coming out of Louisville. Uh, I I didn't have questions about his hands or anything. I, I didn't really have any questions about him off the field. Um, obviously he has all the size and stuff you want. So I was a, a little disappointed. So he's one of those players you kind of want to see make that sophomore leap next season. I think that he kind of had the, the deck stacked against him in that the regime in place at the time with Joe Philbin, not a big fan of playing rookies, tends to, mm-hmm. to minimize minimize their role with the team. And I know that a lot of Dolphins fans were were pretty much over the moon with uh, Devontae Parker late in the year when he was really starting to show that that deep threat presence, uh, his ability to create yards after the catch. I mean, he there were definite games there. Baltimore was one. He did some good things against San Diego, and then he was he was pretty much a highlight reel in that lat, that Week 17 game in Miami against New England. But you started to started to see what he was all about and realize why there was so much buzz with him uh, coming into the league. So the next question I would have then is, uh, how did you feel about Jordan Phillips when he came out of Oklahoma? I like him too. Obviously, there there was the back issue that I think he had in college, and you know he wasn't overwhelmingly productive. But I thought he was a good player. I thought he was right on the fringe of being a first round pick. So you know I thought they got a good player in the second round. Um, you know, the defensive line it's, it's a hard position to make an impact early in your career in the NFL. So, you know, I, I wasn't shocked to see him not explode onto the scene. 
like maybe you'd really want from a second round pick, a high round pick like that. But uh, I think he's very talented, and I think if he just continues to um, try and mirror as much of Dominican Sue's game as possible, I think it's going to be good for his career because physically speaking, you, you just don't see those kind of players every year. And if he can put it all together, I think you have a really special player. Is there a specific team you follow? I mean, is there like a team that you have uh, heightened interest in when it comes to like looking at a lot of these prospects and projecting how they would do it on your team? Yeah, regrettably, it's the Cleveland Browns. So wow, um, yeah, it, it's a hard life. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's about to get better. I reckon uh, that you're able to get rid of uh, Johnny Manziel, uh, hopefully then um, you've got that, that number two pick. We'll get to that in a little bit because I've actually got some questions that were, wow, that really ties into a lot of stuff I have coming up. So that works out. But no, we'll get more into what it is. I mean, you specialize in it. Who are you excited to see at the Combine? I mean, you've, you're starting to get the buzz about who's going to challenge for the, the fastest 40. You're seeing guys like Jalen Ramsey getting thrown in there already. Uh, uh, so – is there a couple of guys that you're really excited to see perform in Indianapolis? Well, first and foremost, I want to see the three top quarterbacks and who decides to throw. And I want to see uh, how Jared Goff, the quarterback from Cal, how he measures in. I mean, he was listed at 6'4", 215 last season. Before last season, he was in the 190 range. And you wonder just how big is he? Um, is he going to be a quarterback that can handle the, the rigors of the NFL getting hit? What size are his hands? Um, and that kind of stuff. So I always kind of start at the top and go down from who I'm most interested in. I mean, I can, I can pull out some F, FCS player and tell you why he could steal the combine, but really I, I want to see the top quarterbacks and what they do. So that that's where it starts for me. I want to see how the cornerbacks, like I mentioned, I think there's there's four or five that are going to be first-round picks. I want to see how how they all run, if they can differentiate themselves from one another there. Um, I want to see the defensive line group and how they look, generally speaking, which is very weird to say, but um, some of these guys come in with a, a really bad body type and you know that they're they're just not going to make it based on that. You know, they... They're just big guys that were strong in college, but maybe not in the NFL. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, I want to see if somebody in the running back group stands out, like someone like Jordan Howard from Indiana, I think could be that player. Um, I think I might put some, some prop bet money on wide receiver Colby Lissenby running the fastest 40 time. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch that for sure. Um, so yeah, a lot of little stuff, but, Really, I want to see how these quarterbacks, you know, separate themselves. So you weren't a big fan of watching guys like Andre Smith run shirtless, even though I think that was at his pro day. But yeah, that that was horrifying. It was that that actually, I think that in a lot of ways tainted the 2009 draft for me at least. That 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 was awful. Uh, Truly, what, what first round prospects do you think could struggle in Indianapolis? Um, that's a good question. I, I want to see, you know, there's linebackers like Miles Jack and Jalen Smith who they're first round players, but we're waiting to hear on their medical stuff. And really that's what the combine's all about. It's getting your 
your medical checks done and sent out to teams. So, you know, I, I want to know exactly where Miles Jack is at with his rehab and if it's, you know, if he's able to move around at all, that saps his athleticism because he's an athletic first linebacker. Um, and Jalen Smith, I think there's still some questions about exactly where he's at with his knee, what he did, and, you know, what it's going to mean for him going forward. And I think at the combine we're going to start to get some indication of that. So, you know, those are first-round picks where you want to see where their health is at. And, you know, that, that, that to me is the most important thing next week. It's got a little thing we do on this show called the lightning round, for lack of a better term, where I'm just going to throw questions at you. You can give me a short answer. You can expand on it if you want. Um, I mean, it's pretty much uh, however far you want to take it. So I've just got a list of stuff here that I just want to ask you and get your insight on. Uh, Number one, the top 15 prospect most likely to slide on draft night. Uh, Laquan Treadwell, maybe not a top 10 pick. Okay. A uh, surprise guy who could land in the top ten. Maybe Duran Lee, the linebacker from Ohio State. I had a feeling you might say that, actually. It's funny. Uh, oh. Team most likely to trade up for a quarterback. For a quarterback, the Rams. They're at 15, I think, now. They could jump into the top ten because they have two second-round picks this year, so they need a quarterback, and... They're in a brand-new city, so what better way to start that than with a new quarterback like Carson Wentz? It's funny you say that, and I actually saw your latest mock, so that kind of tipped your hand. I figured you were going to say the Rams. So the reason I ask anyway is I want to just point out the fact that not only is that team moved to L.A., and they'll they'll get back some of those longtime L.A. Rams fans out there, but that team hasn't Mm -hmm. tried to fill fill the Coliseum now, which is an impossible task. So I feel like drafting a quarterback probably helps helps their cause. Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, you have the young stud running back in Ty Gurley, and, you know, they, they have some good pieces on defense that, you know, I, I might pay a ticket to see Robert Quinn rush the passer but or Aaron Donald penetrate a gap, but I'm not sure if the average NFL fan will, but they will pay to see a quarterback. So, you know, they, they they have some fun pieces there, but they really need that quarterback and they have the ammunition to go get one. I feel like they've got almost everything but. I mean, that that is a talented team when you look at that roster on paper. I mean, you mentioned uh, Quinn and Donald, uh, Chris Long still doing really good work. It's, that's incredibly depressing for Dolphins fans, too, by the way, knowing that. Uh, well, yeah. the, the, the Rams might release him to, to save some salary cap money, so you never know. Oh, come on down. I've always been a big Chris Long fan. Uh, I know that they've had some injuries with, like, Alec Ogletree. Uh, Their secondary is kind of an interesting thing. Janoris Jenkins at times uh, inconsistent, but sometimes looks really good. Sometimes he's upsetting Steve Smith. Um, He had the (laughs) Trumaine Johnson's a guy I think a lot of Dolphins fans have interest in. Uh, the offensive line, I mean, even though that team always wants to talk about trading Roger Saffold, somehow he's still there. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, so. Greg Robinson, you really hope he, he comes along in his third year now as a former number two overall pick. So they, they have some stuff there. But, you know, when you don't have a quarterback, you guys know this, when you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a good team. So that's where they're at. I have no idea what you're talking about. We've always had great quarterbacks down here. Uh, obviously, obviously, I'm kidding. It's it's been a a complete horror show up until I'm I'm a Ryan Tannehill supporter, 
So uh, I, I think that there's um, there's work to be done in that regard, but I think that uh, a lot of Dolphins fans lose sight of what it was like prior to Ryan Tannehill coming here. And I also want to point out something, because I saw news come out today that the Vikings are considering releasing Matt Khalil, which mm-hmm. if if that's the case, that 2012 top 10 outside of a couple of players, and I'm looking at Luke Keekley and Andrew Luck and, and maybe Ryan Tannehill, not a great look. Yeah, no, he, you know, Matt Khalil, you, you thought he was going to be like a, a longtime franchise left tackle and they, they drafted him. You made the pro ball his first year and you think, oh boy, this is, this is going to be the guy. And that hasn't been the case. And yeah, you go down the, the list on Terry Poe from the Chiefs is good. Um, Michael Floyd is probably overshadowed with the Cardinals because of Larry Fitzgerald, but he's pretty solid. But, you know, Robert Griffin, Trent Richardson, Justin Blackman, you know, you can go on and on. It's, it's uh, one of those drafts that is, is very much hit or miss. Mark Barron, I, in, a, in a lot of ways, has been disappointing, especially because he's not even with the team that drafted him. Uh, right. I know that um, my – for I got I got married in 2012 and I gave all of my groomsmen jerseys and sports jerseys and one of my groomsmen is a Dallas Cowboys fan so I made the mistake of getting him a through NFL shop I got him a Cowboys jersey and now they always send me catalogs with Cowboys crap in it I'm just like I don't want this but I got That's him funny. a Morris Claiborne jersey and it's funny because I almost want Morris Claiborne to do well just so that my money wasn't spent in vain. <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely understand that. I mean, I I said in 2012, if the Browns draft Trent Richardson, I'll buy a Trent Richardson jersey, and uh, that, that was not a good idea. No, no, no. But I mean, I, honestly, you're you're in a good spot this year. You've got that number two pick. Uh, that's actually kind of leads up to my next, uh, well, the next couple of questions. All right. Uh, Will a team trade up to number one overall to get a quarterback? Because you've got a unique situation this year in which the number one team doesn't need a quarterback, but number two does. So does anyone yeah, try to it, jump in front of the Browns? Well, it's going to be tough just because the cost is so high all the time to to make that leap. And, you know, you, you wonder, okay, if you're the Cowboys, they, maybe they could take a quarterback at four. Do they make that jump? And, I don't think so. I don't even think it makes sense for them to take a quarterback in the first round. So after that, the next one is the the 49ers at seven. And can you jump all the way from seven to one? And how much do you have to give up? And if you're Chip Kelly and Trent Baalke, do you give up, you know, two first round picks and this year's second round pick and maybe more than that to, to take a quarterback? I I don't think so. And, uh, you know, anything outside the top 10, it's going to be very, very difficult to trade all the way up to number one. So, you know, I, I think it's a fun story. I understand why the Titans leaked that, you know, that they're taking phone calls for the pick. But I, I just think it's so cost prohibitive to jump all the way up to number one to to make it worth it. So it's a fun story in, in mid-February. But by the time April comes around, I think we'll, we'll see that the Titans really locked in on who they're going to pick number one. Who is the best quarterback available in this draft? The best quarterback is Jared Goff. He's um, he might not have quite the potential of of Carson Wentz, but I just think he's such a pro-ready, smart, 
athletic enough, strong enough arm type of quarterback, he can be Matt Ryan for a team pretty quickly. And I think for a lot of teams, that, that's good enough. Um, Matt Ryan can be very good. He, he probably teeters more toward just good. Um, and I think that's okay. And for that reason, I think you go with the safe pick if you if you desperately need a quarterback, you know, that high in the draft. Don't tell Matt Ryan or don't tell Dolphins fans that Matt Ryan's just good. They still bemoan that that missed draft <laughs> selection, and I've never really understood that. But uh, you kind of answered this for me earlier, but I'll ask it anyway. So you don't think the Dallas Cowboys should draft a quarterback at number four overall? Because that's quickly becoming a story where it's, you know, do you plan for the future, especially after you have a playoff team that com- turned into a complete train wreck after your star quarterback broke his collarbone? Or do you go for the kill right now and take a guy like a Miles Jack or some defensive stud at number four overall? I, I go the defensive route for sure, just because, you know, it, it's obvious. Obviously, you can't say Tony Romo is not going to get hurt next season, but what are the chances that he's going to miss that much time? So, you know, my my opinion is that the, the Cowboys knew, do need to draft a quarterback but not until the third or fourth, fifth round, you know. So there's so many high-level defensive talents at the top of the draft this year. You mentioned Jack. Jalen Ramsey would be a good pick there. You could even argue that Joey Bosa would be a good pick there. So it, it's just so so many good starting defensive players that you can, you can use in 2016, whereas if you draft a quarterback at four, you're not going to see him until 2017 or maybe 2018. So, you know, I, I think the Cowboys are good enough to make another run to the Super Bowl next season if Tony Romo is healthy. And all they need to do is have a good enough backup behind him. That could be a third, fourth, fifth-round pick. That could be a veteran like Robert Griffin who gets released. Um, but but that, that's the route I would go. I, I think it's the, the smarter of the two. Uh, Robert Kimdiche was originally a top five guy in this draft up until, you know, falling out of the Fort Story hotel window and all that good stuff. Uh, right. Could he still go top 10? I, I think it's going to be hard for him just because, you know, we we don't know exactly what he's like mentally, character-wise. Um, there, there's just so many questions. And then you couple that with, he was really good in some games last season. Like the Alabama game was one of the most impressive single-game performances of any player last season. But then there was a stretch of games where he's not doing anything at all. And then, you know, there, there's the weird stuff with his brother who randomly went missing. So you wonder, you know, what, what's this kid's life like off the field? And if you're picking in the top ten, you really want to make that gamble on him and in a draft where there's a bunch of other good defensive linemen, I think the answer is no. Is Reggie Ragland worth the top 12 selection? I think he, he looking at it now, I think no, but I think he's one of those middle linebackers who is going to be so solid and dependable for a long time when he's drafted, you know, in the teens or twenties in the draft, people are going to be like, wow, why didn't this guy go higher? Kind of like the James Laurinaitis thing when he was a second round pick a long time ago. Oh, and don't say it. Right. His, his rookie season, you're like, this guy should have been a first round pick. So I think Reggie Ragland is going to have the same type of situation. 
you are killing me here. Uh, the funny thing about that is uh, with Laurinaitis, uh, prior to that draft, a lot of people thought that the Dolphins might take him at 25 overall. Uh, mm-hmm. He might, Raglan might fall for the, the same reason Laurinaitis did, in which he really didn't run that fast. I think he was, what, a 4'8 guy at, at yep. the Combine. And now we're, mm-hmm. we live in a, a world where if you're, if your linebacker doesn't run at least a four or six, then he's probably not worth your time, which is absurd. But yeah, watch James Laurinaitis. Just every time I watch him play, I'm like, oh man. No, I lo- though I love Vontae Davis. Don't get me wrong, but James Laurinaitis seems like a like a guy you you build the second level of your defense around. Yeah, for sure. And you know, going in Reggie Ragland's favor, there's a you know three or four teams that need middle linebackers early in the draft this year. So. You know, that could be good for him, but watching him at the senior ball, he's, he's definitely kind of a, a stiff, you know, not fleet of foot, sideline to sideline linebacker. And the, the draft is generally not very kind to those kind of linebackers. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be a really good pro, but it's this is the time of year that is not built for Reggie Ragland. No, this might be the most important question I have. Is Mel Kuyper Jr. literally morphing into a bird right before our eyes? I hope so. I love Mel. Uh, and if, if I could see him take flight, that would be uh, wonderful. As the sharpest widow's peak in sports, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm very jealous of his uh, fading pompadour. <laughs> Billy Donovan. Watch, watch Billy Donovan. He's a sleeper in that race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy Donovan's got it, too. This is actually, I mean, getting, getting back on track, uh, would you draft Noah Spence? Yes, I would, and uh, I understand the issues with him, and you hope all the drug stuff is in his past. Uh, Talking to him, I I spent a good half an hour sitting down with him at at the Senior Bowl this year, just trying to figure out, you know, who he was from a a people standpoint, not even a football standpoint, and, you know, it, it seems like he gets it and seemed very contrite, so, you know, I definitely would, and you if you take him, you you try and do what the Raiders did with Khalil Mack, and I think you might have a similar type of player. Who is the best overall pass rusher available in this draft? We were talking before you came on about how you've got pass rushers who fit a couple of molds. You got DeForest Buckner who can play a five tech. He can he can be a four three end. You've got Bosa who could be a four three end or an edge rusher. You've got Spence who might be the most talented pass rusher of the the group in terms of being an edge rusher. But in your opinion, who is the best overall guy? I think Bosa is is the best overall guy because, you know, he combines that ability to rush the passer with stopping the run. And I think he does that better than Buckner. And I I think he's more of a a total package than Spence, obviously. So I I think Bosa is a really special player. And I think he's going to, be a big impact early in his career. Um, if he can, if he can get a little bit quicker, I, I think you're looking at a Michael Strahan type of player. Uh, he has that same kind of length. He has the same kind of skills and the ability to play the run. And he really works with his legs, driving his legs well, and he uses his hands properly. The whole he's the whole package for me. So, you know, if I'm taking a defensive end or pass rusher or whatever, I'm taking him. Now the the issue is. If I'm a 3-4 team, I might need another way. But just overall, I'm, I'm going with Bosa. Who is the most overrated prospect in this year's draft? 
Oh boy, that is, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Boy, that's a really good question. I really haven't thought about that one. Um, hmm. We're Dolphin fans. You know, always it, think about about who's overrated. Sure. You know, I I I like Carson Wentz, so it's easy for me to talk about the quarterbacks, I guess. But I think I think people might be expecting a little bit too much of him, um, especially early in his career. He's obviously talented, and I think he can be a very good quarterback. But I don't. He doesn't strike me as the kind of quarterback you throw in as a rookie and expect him to turn your franchise around. I mean, he had just around 600 career pass attempts at North Dakota State. He only played half of last season. He didn't really play in a, quote, pro-style offense that is such a thing anymore. Um, And, you know, I think his accuracy kind of goes in and out. So uh, I completely understand why he's going to go high, but he's a, he's a player that I'm, I'm a little afraid of. Who's the most underrated prospect in this draft? You can just keep it to the first round. If you, if you want to keep it relative to what most fans are aware of, or you can, you can be a little bit more exploratory. Yeah. I think Kendall Fuller, the cornerback from Virginia tech, because he missed most of last season or all last season, maybe Um, before the year, it, it was a real discussion on, who's better, Vernon Hargreaves or Kendall Fuller. And everyone viewed Kendall Fuller at the time as a top 15 pick. Now you're you're kind of hard-pressed to see a mock draft where he's in the first round. I mean, he's been inching back up in there in that range the past week or so. Um, but I think he's kind of in that underrated category. I don't know if you got a, a couple of minutes. Uh, I have a actual uh, crew with me, and I know that they want to ask you a couple of questions. I think every, everyone yeah, yeah. excited to have you, have you on. Uh, there's uh, Duke, Lewis, and and Max. Do you guys have any questions for Dan? Uh, I actually, actually, I actually have one, but I know that Duke had one too, so I'm going to let him go get in first. That's very nice of you. Uh, well, the question I have is, uh, I'm an Appalachian State alum, and I want to get your thoughts on uh, Ronald Blair. I haven't caught up with him quite yet. To be to be a hundred percent honest with you, I know. I know Brugler from CBS, and I know Josh Norris of Roto World really like him. And, you know, when those two guys who I, I consider my, my friends and my peers in the whole draft thing, uh, like a player, tells me I really need to go do my homework. So um, that, that's the case with Blair for me. All right. So now my question to you is that you brought up how you see cornerback as a need for the Dolphins. And while I agree with that assessment, I really don't feel like it's the biggest need. And considering the level of talent in the draft, I feel like that linebacker would be the better choice in the first round. Would you agree with that? Um, Mostly. I I just think, you know, with the eighth pick, do you, you know, I, I don't think Reggie Ragland you take there. And I, I have, I still have questions about Jalen Smith's knee health, so I, I'm not sure you take him there. I'm, I'm pretty sure Miles Jack is going to be gone, so um, that 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 leaves a big question for me as far as value. So uh, that that's why I've been leading corner back there. Okay. And yeah, um, quick question: What position do you think Miles Jack best projects to? in the NFL because I've kind of seen people all over the place and whether he's an inside guy, he's a weak side linebacker. Well, you know, if a 4-3 team picks him, I think he's a weak side guy. If a a 3-4 team picks him, I think he's an inside guy. So, uh, 
you know, I think we're kind of at the point in the NFL where, you know, you can use those positions as, as designations for a depth chart. But, uh, you know, when you get on the field, you know, he's not just going to line up outside the offensive tackle or he's not just going to line up, you know, behind the defensive line in the B gap or something. It, he, you know, you just get him on the field and, and have him make plays. And, you know, Miles Jack is, is the most complete linebacker I've seen in a really long time from the from the sense that he can drop back uh, easily in coverage. He can handle man duties. He's good enough for zone. He can come up and stop the run. So it, it doesn't matter what position he really plays, frankly. Just get, just get him on the field, make sure he's healthy, and, and let him loose. Go what do you Ruiz. think is Scooby like Wright? Scooby Wright's a guy who's getting a lot of attention from Dolphins fans right now because he's getting the mm-hmm. Zach Thomas comparison, which is an um, if you want to if you want it's a dangerous Dolphins, comparison. Yeah, if you want Dolphins fans to to smell blood in the water, you just you you can throw out a, a pro player comparison like a Zach Thomas. But what do you think of Scooby Wright? Because I finally got to sit down and watch some tape of his, and I just. I have my own thought, but I want to hear what you say first. Well, I think it's a lazy comparison just because he played at Arizona. I'm pretty sure that's where uh, Zach Thomas played. Um, he, he shifted back from a pass rushing role to more of a defensive or a linebacker role, excuse me. And I, I'm pretty sure that's what Zach Thomas did in college. Um, I think he's a little bigger than Zach Thomas. I don't think he's as instinctive as Zach Thomas and, you know, when you, when you talk about linebackers, it, it's the instincts. It's the first step, and it's taking the first step in the right direction. And that's why when you see a guy like Reggie Ragland who might run a four seven five or a four eight, his first step is always in the right direction, and that makes up for that. Whereas Scooby Wright, I, I think he's still kind of a uh, uh, he, he's still in the transition. I think he's an okay player. I was a little surprised that he came out this year. Um, I'm not sure how athletic he is. I don't think the combine's going to be nice to him. I certainly wouldn't compare him to Zach Thomas. I think that the one thing that that caught me about Scooby Ray, and I agree with everything he just said, Zach Thomas is actually a Texas Tech guy. Um, oh right. The, the the one thing, yeah, because I mean everyone remembers how awesome he was at Texas Tech. I remember when sure. the Dolphins tra- drafted him, and everyone was like, "Who?" And um, the one thing about Scooby Ray that surprised me. Uh, the take on skills, uh, not bad. Like his ability at times to get off blocks because he doesn't look like a very. And I think that's kind of a product of been looking at guys like Reggie Ragland, who is the size of a house. And then you've got some mm-hmm. of these other guys, even your your undersized guys like Miles Jack are playing at what, like 225, 230 pounds, right? 230 pounds, 235, somewhere in that range. So yeah, Jack's you like look 245, actually. Uh, he's a He's a big guy. Yeah, he's um. I've heard that he's actually uh, uh, bulked up even more. I don't know what his mm-hmm. exact weight is at this time, but I'm interested to see. I, I was that's why I was kind of bummed when it came through that we weren't sure what uh, or he, that he wasn't going to fully participate in the combine, just because. I mean, that's something people want. You, you watch Miles Jack's tape, which I, by the way, if you're looking at Scooby Wright, I don't recommend watching him before or after you look at Miles Jack. <laughs> because it, it's like watching like something in fast forward after that, because I mean, Miles Jack is just an absolute, it's like a shot out of a cannon whenever that guy's in pursuit. It's absurd, but I was kind of interested to see how he moved with the, the increased bulk 
because I always saw that his weight was they listed him at like 230, 235. I now like I've heard that he's even bigger and now that he's like in the the mid 240s, maybe even I don't even know where he's at, at this point, but yeah, yeah he's in the he's, he's probably right now, if I had to guess, hovering in the mid 230s and looking to to get up there a little bit. I mean, once he's once he's fully cleared, it'll be easier to you know really pack on muscle and and keep building his frame but it's it's a question of like what that latency point is where he starts losing that athleticism and that quick twitch ability that makes him so special and he is special like i mean his tape is i I think we all sat down uh formally for the first time sometime in january and we said like yeah we're gonna go ahead and sit down and watch all these linebackers and his tape was just uh, it was kind of like watching I don't know, like some absurd thing. It was like watching the, the the spaceship land or aliens or something. Like to watch a linebacker move that fast, I mean, to pursue that well and watch him in coverage. I mean, the, the guy is just incredible. So, yeah, and I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be there. I don't think he's going to be anywhere close to number eight. You're breaking my heart. He, yeah, I know. But I mean, if for all the points that Dan listed, and, I, and I'm in full agreement, I think that Miles Jack is a special player, and I think that I'm almost to the point now where I don't see him getting past Jacksonville, and that's if Dallas passes on him. And uh, Jerry Jones went with Bruce Carter, who's kind of like a, at this point like a poor man's version of Miles Jack, you know, like a, when he was at UNC, like or just an absurdly fast guy. But I mean, the the range that Miles Jack has is is in my opinion better than what Bruce Carter brings to the table. And I liked Bruce Carter a lot. I, I like Bruce Carter too. He just couldn't stay healthy. And, you know, yeah. so hope, hopefully Miles Jack doesn't continue having that similarity to him. But uh, I think his pro day is on March 15th. And you, you wonder if he's actually going to be ready to work out then. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it, if you're the Dolphins, you hope that he doesn't work out at all. And that that causes him to slip because otherwise I I don't see him falling that far. Anyone else have any questions for uh, our guest, Dan? Sounds like crickets. Well, I didn't want to take up too much of your time. So uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking to us. And hopefully you can do it again soon because, uh, like I mentioned to you uh, off air, big fan of your site. I love reading your stuff. I liked your. I like, I'm not a big fan of reading mock drafts at this point. I always look at them, but I always like reading yours. I like the work you put out. So, Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And the mock drafts, you know, it's the, the nature of the beast. And it, it's my job to write one every Monday. So I try and spice them up and change them around and, and take a different viewpoint. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's a thing. And uh, it feeds the beast, I guess. When we enjoy him, like when Mel Kuyper will put him out or Todd McShay or NFL.com's gotten a little bit more uh, into it, even though those guys claim they don't like doing it. I I can tell that they love it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we look forward to you putting that out every Monday, and uh, we'll reach out to you again and hopefully bring her on, and we can talk about uh, uh, the draft process uh, as we're further into it, maybe in uh, March or early April. Great. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, he's Dan Kadar, SB Nation's NFL Draft Editor. You can follow him on Twitter at Mocking the Draft. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, some pretty imp- some pretty great insight, honestly. 
uh, I enjoyed hearing a lot of that stuff. And it's, it's interesting to always hear non-Dolphins fans talk about what they're going to do with uh, with that number eight pick. And the reason I mention that is, like, if I'm making a mock draft or something, it's awfully hard to get away from the players I want to see taken. And, you know, always think like, oh, yeah, this player could fall, even though it's completely unreasonable. I've been talking about the fact that I've got the Bosa fever right now. And, I mean, I always think like, yeah, you know, maybe he can go ahead and fall to number eight, even though it's incredibly unlikely. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much because all of us have talked ourselves out of the any chance of Jalen Ramsey falling. And it does kind of warm my heart when I see um, mock drafts come out that have Jalen Ramsey going third, fourth, fifth, because I think what was the highest uh, draft pick we could have gotten sixth, I think, if we had lost the last day of the season? Because I, I know Jacksonville was going to stay ahead of us regardless. So we never had a chance at him. Ah, I feel okay. I can live with it. Uh, I believe we're joined by Dolphin Fan for Life. Are you there? Yep. You're a patient man. I think you're on hold for like 40 some minutes or something. That's awesome. What's what's going on? Uh nothing much. Uh one player I wanted to add to that underrated list um is Richard Higgins. Uh yeah. wide receiver. They have him listed as a third round pick, best route runner in the draft, but for some odd reason, and I think it's because his production was down last year, but, you know, the year before that, he, like, set records. And last year, I think it was an issue with the quarterback, but and he had a few drop passes. But Rashard Higgins, I mean, that's a wide receiver that I said that I would even take if he falls into the third round, and we don't necessarily need one. But – like he's a little bit taller than Jarvis Juice Landry, but I think he has the same skill set. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because it's really easy to get hung up on what's going on in the first round every year, uh, especially this year with the Dolphins owning a top 10 pick. It seemed like forever they were just finishing outside of the top 10. They always had the, I felt like, I feel or I, should, I felt like they had the 12th pick every year. And then last year, it took part 14th overall. So it's, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to be bad, at least get into the top end so you get a crack at some of that, that high end talent. And they have a, they have a chance to do that with some of these guys. And, you know, maybe we are fortunate and one of these guys falls. I mean, it'd be absurd to think that Joey Bosa gets past, I don't know, Jacksonville. But um, also consider that it would be nice to see a team trade up for a quarterback. You know, Baltimore, you know, Ozzie Newsom's not afraid of trading down. Baltimore's got that sixth pick. Everyone thought that San Francisco was set with their quarterback. Uh, in fact, Colin Kaepernick uh, at one point was pleading with the Jets, it seemed, to come and get him and take him away because he apparently doesn't want to play for Chip Kelly. So San Francisco in play for a quarterback at seventh overall. I've heard from a lot of people that Jared Goff is their preferred choice. Uh, maybe Paxton Lynch raises up too. You know, he's kind of gotten lost in the, the Wentz hype. But at one point, Paxton Lynch was the guy they were looking at as, hey, that guy could go first overall. So it's funny how nothing has really changed except he played a bowl game, uh, didn't look that great. And all of a sudden, these people are like, eh, maybe like a mid-first-round guy. You know, so limited action turned into that, which is can be pretty confusing. 
A guy that uh, I heard about, a guy that I heard about, beginning of the season, and there was a lot of hype behind him. But um, like I don't even see him on mock drafts anymore, and I'm not sure if he like just didn't declare this year or what happened. But is a guy named Justin Simmons, a mm-hmm. free safety. Um, <laughs> He played on a really bad team, but he was, like, one of their shining stars. But I just – do you know if he's even in the draft this year, or is he just, like, not going to declare this year? I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into that. Um, I keep hearing this sound that sounds like the, the Aflac duck or something. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is we mentioned that Mel Kuyper – mock came out today and at number eight overall he i mean it's almost like he's playing with my emotions because any other year i would be all about this pick he had the dolphins taking ronnie stanley the offensive tackle out of notre dame i mean i've talked about him before um i live pretty close to Notre. i'm probably about 90 minutes away from uh south bend where notre dame is so i mean like it or not, I mean, I'm in Notre Dame country, and I've always been a big fan of Stanley, and I would love to get him on that offensive line, especially as we're looking for ways to to boost Ryan Tannehill's game and help him get to the next level. And I think that's a big reason why people are intent on getting Lamar Miller back. Um, you want that familiarity, and you want that back in the backfield with your quarterback. And also the fact that you need to protect him too. And Ronnie Stanley can play either tackle position. And I know a lot of people aren't a fan of this, but um, I've always liked Brandon Albert more as a guard. When he came out of Virginia in 2008, I liked him more as a guard. So I know he's talked about he wants to play tackle. That was a big stipulation when he came over um, from, uh, from Kansas City. So I know he probably wouldn't welcome that too much, but... He, I mean, he's late in his career anyway. So any other year, I would be all about that. I really like this offensive tackle class. I like Ronnie Stanley. I like Jack Conklin. Duke and I talk about Conklin all the time. Um, an under-the-radar guy who could still go in the first round is Jason Spriggs out of the University of Indiana. He's really good. Uh, a lot of people are into Taylor Decker. I like Taylor Decker more as a right tackle. As a left tackle, I, I'm not sure he's got the – the feet to to really solidify himself on that side of the line. But there's a lot of good offensive tackles out this year. And it's just, it's almost feels criminal that um, I don't, unless something really, really weird happens and they just go best player available, uh, regardless of what side of the ball they play on. I don't see it happening early. I could see him take, like if Cody Whitehair felt, fell to the second round, I could see them maybe taking, taking a shot at him. And that would be great, especially because I think he could easily go in the top first round, but I don't know. So we, so we heard who Max would take it at number eight overall right now, if you guys were making the number eight overall pick and we'll end the show on this because uh, we're coming up on that time. Uh, If you had to make the pick at number eight right now, within reason, I mean, don't say like Jalen Ramsey, if you think Bosa will fall, go for it. Uh, If you think a guy could fall, like maybe Miles Jack does, um, I'll accept it, but right now we'll start with we'll start with Duke. Who would you take number eight overall? Hargreaves. Okay, Lewis. 
I want Miles Jack. How many times do I have to say it? <laughs> like, hey, that's uh, going to be my answer every single time somebody asks me that question. I want Miles Jack so badly. I want Miles to Jack. Rashad Jones on the field. Uh, Max, you want to reiterate your answer from earlier? Yeah, my answer for the defensive line was um, Buckner or Bozafel, but overall, I think right now, I, I think Miles Jack could fall given his injury and what's happening with the combine. Thank you. But if he doesn't fall, then Hargraves. Ah! Oh, don't give yourself a backup plan. Then you jinx it. Just say if Miles you don't have Jack. A backup yes. plan, if you don't have a backup plan, you end up like Joe Philbin. Yes, I know, but we're not the Dolphins' front office. Thank God. <laughs> they can have a backup. Uh, Dolphins fan for life, are you still a Jalen Smith guy at eight overall? Yes, I am, and that's because I know we're not nowhere near being, you know, that team that surprises teams this year. So preparing for next year, you have a talent like Jalen Smith. I don't care about sitting him on the bench this year. I think if you want get somebody to fill his shoes for a year, let him get his res but you can't pass up a talent like Jalen Smith, especially with our trouble with the linebacker position for so long. Linebackers have always been good. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> kidding. All right. Well, I want to go ahead and thank our special guest, uh, guest, if you will, Max Himmlerich was able to come on and I'm looking to actually, I should announce that we're going to do that, uh, that Finn Cider radio draft podcast. That'll be something we do every week. Uh, Duke yeah. will be involved in that too. If Lewis and and Chris want to be a part of that as well, that's something where we would kind of just talk about the things we talk about tonight. To be to be honest, but I'd like to separate a lot of the team news from a lot because I mean, not everyone wants to listen to us talk about the draft for an hour and a half, even though I could listen to it all day. So um, that's something we're going to bring up here, I mean, perhaps within the next few weeks, if I can go ahead and clear up my schedule. Uh, in the meantime, I want to thank Max. I want to thank uh, Dan Kadar of SB Nation's Mocking the Draft for uh, stopping by and talking about all the prospects we're interested in at number eight overall. I loved uh, hearing his insight. Really nice guy, too. So I hope to have him on the show again soon. Uh, that's it for us tonight. Thanks for tuning in uh, to for my co-hosts and guests. Uh, thank you to everyone. And we'll go ahead and we'll talk to you right here again uh, next week. Good night. Good night. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.